Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of ATL Alts. This is your host, Andre Sindate. I am super excited to have Anthony Scandariato from Red Knight Properties on the show today. Anthony is an apartment investor. He is also a podcaster. He's going to tell us about that podcast today on the show. He's an educator. And as I mentioned, he's a co-founder and managing principal of a real estate investment firm called Red Knight Properties um, in the greater New York City, New Jersey area. Anthony, welcome to ATL Alts. Great, Andres. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always a delight to get an opportunity to talk um, with a true entrepreneur, somebody who's got a really great story. So I want to jump right into that. Tell me about where you're from. Sure. Uh, so you hit the nail on the head. I'm from the greater New York City area outside of Manhattan. I'm about an hour outside of Midtown Manhattan West. So in New Jersey and basically, you know, kind of grew up here for most of my life within the tri-state area. Um, but now we have assets and, and multifamily properties, which Andres mentioned um, my company invests in and, and manages all over. I wouldn't say all over the country, but kind of up and down the East Coast. So anywhere from over here in the tri-state all the way down to the Sun Sunbelt smile states such as Florida. Yeah, closer to probably where where I'm at in, in Georgia, and we'll talk about that migration. I wanted to ask you to take us through the chronology of your background. Uh, we were talking about in the in the prep for the show, when you meet people who have uh, built successful businesses, it's very easy to have uh, this mythical founder story. Um, mm -hmm. The media often perpetuates that. I like to dig in a little bit and hear, you know, about some of the bumps along the way, some of the moves that worked out, some of the moves that maybe didn't work out, or some of the learnings. Because I think uh, the backstory, which is the tagline to our show at ATL Alts, is often where a lot of the inspiration and a lot of the learnings come from. So I want to ask you to take us back to, you know, Growing up, did you grow up in New Jersey? And how did you find your way to, to real estate? I know that may be a longer journey, but I'd love to hear more about what the inspiration was. Yeah, certainly dive into that, and it's a great question. So I grew up in you know northern New Jersey, basically you know since I was a little boy, as far as I can remember. I was born in New York State, but that's kind of always only up until four or five years old, so memory is pretty thin there. And in terms of my background and, and my up bringing, um, you know, I was pretty, I would say very poor student in school, and especially in grammar school, in you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, very, very poor, actually so poor um, that I actually was sent to a boarding school. It was basically a, a preparatory school, not the standard, you know, preparatory school where people with money go to and they send their kids to get you know, possibly a better private education. Um, this is totally different. This was basically a school where, you know, a lot of children from the elementary to um, high school level were failing in their classes. So I got sent there uh, basically my freshman year of high school. Uh, spent a couple years there and uh, really turned or at least started to turn my act around really got to see where other individuals' upbringings were coming from and 
kind of realized that I didn't have it so bad. And what am I doing with my life? And I was, you know, still a young kid, you know, 14, 15 years old. But at that age level, being exposed to so much diversity and seeing challenges from all different, you know, age brackets and demographic in, in different demographic areas, because uh, it, was, it was like a regional school, but it, people were sent from all over the state. Um, so really, you know, tried to clean up my act as much as I could, got sent back to my regular public school and um, ended up going to community college and then actually ended up transferring to Cornell. We were talking about that a little bit before the show um, to study business. So uh, a lot of it kind of goes back from, you know, that experience that I had uh, during, you know, my early to mid teens, seeing, you know, seeing the things that I saw as a teenager being exposed to, you know, various hard drugs, not that I was doing them, but, you know, a lot of just got to see a lot of stuff and, um, you know, didn't want my life to end up in a certain direction. So it kind of woke me up and, um, you know, during my high school years, I started playing piano and guitar and actually started like a side music business and really loved the hustle of entrepreneurship. I was going around in my neighborhood, putting down, um, you know, flyers in people's mailboxes for lessons. And so I would have, you know, I would have a list of maybe 20 to 30 people that I would give lessons to. And I didn't really, you know, have, ever have, uh, I want to say that traditional type of, okay, grocery store job as a as a um, growing up. So I always had that entrepreneurial bug in me. And I think that's what started it. And, um, you know, obviously, when I graduated from from college, uh, I actually had a startup in, in school as well that I helped run with a couple of under, other um, roommates that I had and um, was able to transition out of that business into now the real estate business uh, that I got exposed to uh, from, you know, some family members. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm going to put you on the spot. So you you come out of uh, you come out of community college, and we were talking about this. Like, there's this narrative where it's like, okay, he started at the Ivy League, and now he's off to the races and building this big successful platform. Clearly, you've debunked that. But you didn't just attend an Ivy League school in Cornell. You were on the dean's list and did great academically. So tell me about that experience for our, our, our listeners. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show, a lot of what will be founders one day. Um, and obviously college and the education process, big part of this, but it's, it's not the only way to success. What was it like for you coming through that experience being at a, at a big, you know, ivory tower, or Ivy league institution? And were you super focused at that point and, and, and your grades and all the activities you were involved in speak for themselves uh, kind of thing? No, I mean, it was, a sh it was a shocker when I was there too, because again, you get, it's, you get exposed to more diversity and, um, you know, coming from, you know, community college and excelling there, um, got ex exposed to individuals who have kind of been, you know, on the high, you know, the highway to success from, basically since they were born. So I was exposed to people like that and kind of humbled me a little bit, I would say, uh, actually a lot. Um, and uh, was exposed exposed to a lot of that. And, you know, I, I did, you know, transfer there and I did study um, economics and business and 
my specialization was entrepreneurship just because I did have that, that entrepreneurial bug. So I took a lot of uh, classes focused on, you know, venture capital and, you know, startup business plans and obviously the finance classes. So I really got a, you know, hands-on approach to entrepreneurship at the academic level, as well as starting, you know, another part-time business while I was in school. So always kind of had that entrepreneurial bug ever since, you know, I started that music, that little music business in, in high school. And you were hustling while you were at in, in school, you mentioned that you had a business, you know, a music business, and you also then started a, a, a business that was specializing in, in the, was it real estate in the retail space um, before you, you, you found your way to an acquisitions role at, uh, at, Vision, at Vision Properties? What was yeah, that? Uh, what was that time yeah, like? That's a good question. Yeah. So it was actually a totally different segment. It was, it was operating in the retail and consumer products segment. So it was actually selling college sunglasses and sweaters um, to, you know, different college bookstores. And we had an online retail store. So had a had a good, you know, my partners were also at Cornell. So I had a I had a good run there for a couple of years. We were in like 100, you know, bookstores by the time I left the company. And I, I voluntarily uh, left the company, um, you know, kind of after post-graduation. Um, I, I really... It wasn't an industry that I really loved, and I got exposed to real estate just from, you know, talking to some folks in the industry and reading a couple of books on the side, and I really was very interested in it, and I couldn't put I couldn't put them down. So um, I just kind of career pivoted and then started networking with a bunch of different individuals in the industry, and that obviously led me to my position uh, starting out as an analyst at uh, my former, com- you know, company I worked for, Vision Properties, uh, who was a, you know, a class A multi-tenant real estate sponsor up and down the East Coast as well, more institutional uh, type of assets. Do you remember those books you read that were yeah. early on very instructive to your, in, you know, pursuing real estate as a career? Yeah, definitely. There was two. Obviously, The Rich Dad Poor Dad was number one. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a real estate book, but that kind of, you know, he, that's all he would talk about, you know, those, the assets that pay, right? So, and the number one was real estate. So then I got, you know, I started diving into um, some other older books that kind of date um, a lot of people at this point. Um, so, you know, just read, it, read a few real estate ones, specifically on a multifamily and a little bit of commercial Um and just really got hooked to it. So that's that's when I um, started to network and really realized, all right, well, I think I think this is where my career is going to go long term. And your timing of starting your current firm, Red Knight Properties, two months before the global pandemic, I remember seeing one of your early newsletters. Uh, and you've done a fantastic job of putting out content, quality content through different channels on social media, through your website, you've got a podcast. So I'm going to get into all of that. But I remember reading that and seeing that and telling a friend, this firm is a firm to watch. And that was, you know, coming up on two years ago. And I really want to understand that 
process of building the organization? You have a business partner. Can you take us back to the the early days of Red Knight Properties? What was the investment thesis? But more, maybe more importantly, like how did you pick your business partner, or why did you pick a business partner? Sure. Uh, so Red Knight, it we started it on a full time basis. We really went all in, as you mentioned, Andres, in January of 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, at the same time, while I, you know, I, I got my position at Vision Properties in 2015, so. That position, I was exposed to a lot. It was a different asset class, but I wore a lot of different hats. So the acquisitions, asset management, property management, even some development, um, capital raising on both the equity and debt side. I mean, I could go on and on. So got exposed to a lot there and felt comfortable enough to, you know, start investing in my own deals, kind of on just the side hustle deals, two families here and there. Um and so, you know, late 2016, I bought my first two family on the side. I still own it. You know, all my money is out. I just cash flow every month. But, um, you know, that was I started out with that. And then, you know, I kind of moved from that first two family to another two family. I bought with a partner, um, not my business partner now, but another partner. And um, we were able to turn that building around and, and flip it. It was like a 40 percent IRR over 15 months. So. You know, I kind of figured, okay, well, if I can continue doing, you know, smaller deals and, you know, maybe I can eventually start my own firm that will target similar size deals to what what I'm working at on a full-time basis at Vision. So um, basically, you know, was able to find my business partner through a former coworker of mine. Uh, my business partner is Brian Leonard. He actually played in the NFL for eight years. Um, he, you know was at a point in his life where he retired from the NFL, but he was still in his early thirties. So he didn't really want to retire. Um, he had, you know, capital built up that he was looking to invest, but wanted to do something more active and wanted to really was interested in multifamily real estate and, and you know, real estate and commercial real estate in general. So I met him through my former coworker and we hit it off. Uh, he came in our office one day, just met with meeting with my old boss, just looking to learn about real estate. And uh, came into my office. I kind of showed him a couple of things I was doing on the side with my two families. And he's like, hey, I, you know, I got some capital and it sounds like you have some too. And why don't we try to partner up on another deal that's a little bit bigger? So that's when we did in 2018. So between 2018 and 2020, uh, him and I bought about 70 multifamily mixed use uh, and mixed use. Um, when I say mixed use retail below apartments above units in our local market uh, together. So between 2018 and basically before the pandemic, 20, you know, 2020. So um, we bought those, we actually refinanced uh, a couple of those, um, returned some capital back to us and, you know, the returns were very good. So um, that's kind of how that started. It wasn't, you know, exactly in January, 2020 when this really kicked off because, you know, real estate, it's not a get rich quick scheme. People can make money pretty quickly, but then if they don't have a long-term investment strategy, you know, it's going to cause issues in my opinion. So, um, yeah, so, you know, picking the partner is really important. Um, you know, I had experiences with my former business, you know, while I was in school with sunglasses and sweaters, 
uh, with two business partners there and learned a lot from that experience. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great partnership to, to be frank, but I got to learn a lot of things that I don't want in a partner. And, um, you know, we, Brian and my current partner, we work great together and, you know, we don't really get into arguments, more so disagreements and possible, you know, management style, but it's, it's been great. And uh, I think it's good to have that, especially if it's a healthy debate and it's constructive. So the definitely picking your partner is important. And obviously he added value to me at the time with, with, you know, it still does with capital and he's built up a lot of knowledge since then as well, um, particularly on the management side. And then obviously I came in with experience and a little bit of capital behind me to, uh, you know, source deals and, you know, ask, you know, manage them correctly and, and turn them around. There's an adage in the industry that real estate is an apprenticeship business, which would, you know, for those folks that are interested in doing more than passive investing in real estate, but they want to learn how to become a sponsor, become a buyer of duplexes or single family properties, and then maybe eventually do something commercial. Do you agree with that statement? I mean, those five years at your prior firm, do you look back and say, wow, I could have left sooner and started this or that was the right training. It sounds like you did a little bit of both because you were doing some stuff on the side, um, you know, while, while having that W2. I'm just curious to hear your take now that you're deep into it with Brian and your own organization. Yeah, it definitely was the right training um, for sure. And obviously it was getting paid at the same time. And But I was adding value as well. I was able to source capital uh, from, you know, my network that they didn't have access to before and we've closed deals and I was sourcing deals as well. So, but I learned a lot at the same time. I didn't, I didn't do that right away. It took me a few, you know, that, that didn't happen until later years um, while I was there. So, you know, I, I would say it was for me essential in order to get to where I am today. I basically learned, you know, had 15 years of experience crammed into those five years just because, you know, the um, other company I, I used to work for, they're, they're great guys and they're, they're, they wanted to grow their business fast too and their assets and, you know, their portfolio and, you know, they're hustlers. So I hustled with them. Um, at least I, I hope so in their mind. So, um, you know, got to learn a lot and it was very fast paced and I think it was a great experience. And obviously, you know, did some things on the side and uh, turned into uh, something where I felt obligated to, um, you know, leave that, that experience, um, you know, after five years be, being there. And, um, you know, but that didn't happen until, you know, I had some, um, that the assets that Brian and I bought and experience on our own deals and then getting a couple of other larger multifamily deals when we brought on additional partners in our, from our network um, under contract. So that was kind of the timeline. And, you know, from, from 2018 to 2020 and now, basically 2020 to the end of 2021, we're recording this, uh, we have about 600 units in our portfolio, um, about $80 million under management in four different states. So that's kind of how we, you know, we're able to grow over the past few years. Congratulations on that. And I know that Thanks. you you have a robust uh, pipeline of things that you want to execute on in the years ahead. 
let's talk about how you set up Red Knight. You are very prolific in educating your investor members. Um, full disclosure, I'm 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 reading all of that. Haven't yet invested, but reading all of that content, looking at the deals you guys are doing, all looks great. But maybe you could go back and talk about how you decided to set the firm up. Not every real estate sponsor and syndicator is as out there and as vocal about leading with content and education and here's our playbook and here's what we're doing. Uh, Red Knight is different in that respect. So why, why did you decide to pursue that route versus just doing your deals with your network and going about it that way? Well, I think it would be harder to grow if no one knew who we were. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, a, to a topic of discussion, but, you know, for, for us, you know, I wanted to set it up in a way where we were also adding value to the community. We didn't want to just do deals and make money for us and our investors. We wanted to educate and have that component of our platform because I think it was, I think it was pretty important, especially coming from my background at the institutional side, you know, and when we're bringing on, let's say friends and family, or now it's our greater network, you know, referrals and people I don't even know that found me, you know, on the internet now, um, I want them to know, especially if they're investing with us, I want them to know what they're investing in because that's, that's important and, and why we're doing it and what's the, you know, motivation behind it and why we like, you know, this specific niche within the multifamily asset class, the middle market. And um, I want them to understand why. I mean, obviously, if they trust us, that's great. And I think that's important. But I don't care if you trust us. You, you understand what you're investing in at the same time. So that's why I think, you know, it's important to at least, you know, I host, you mentioned I host a podcast. I call it Discovering Multifamily because a lot of individuals, they don't really realize they can invest passively in, you know, real estate. They think they need to be a landlord and they, they, you know, it just kind of scares them. And, but they're like, well, if you found, you know, Anthony or Brian, if you found a deal, I'd love to invest with you guys. And it's, we say, okay, well, great. But still, you should get educated, listen to some podcasts. Uh, we host, you know, webinars pretty much every month. We have events every every month in person. So I encourage you to kind of join the network and, um, you know, just learn who, what we're about and, and learn um, about the asset class, too. So I think that's important. You know, they don't have to be ex experts, especially we have doctors invested in our deals and, you know, they're not going to have time to learn about, you know, what a cap rate is or, you know, what cash on cash returns are and whatnot. But if they do have time, they should listen to maybe a podcast or two on that specific topic. So the next time we're bringing it up, they know, oh, okay, I know what that is. And it's always important to know what you're investing in and feel comfortable with it. So I think the education educational component is 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 something essential to to help us grow in our business and to just help others too one of the uh one of the one of the questions i wanted to ask you about your your niche you know you talked about multifamily you talked about starting in the the new york new jersey area initially and now you're in four states so how did you uh, how did you arrive at multifamily investing and can you walk us through the progression of how you went from investing largely in your backyard to now looking at, uh, I would assume, slightly larger deals, the check sizes perhaps from your LPs maybe gotten bigger over time. 
Can you just take us through that progression, if you would, over the, the last 18, 20 months? Yeah, and I forgot to mention, Andres, we do, a, we, we do self-property management. So we want to, we, we did that from the start. Uh, we wanted to make sure we were performing for, you know, just performing on the deal and we wanted to have control. So we kind of built the property management business alongside the investment business, you know, at the same time. And there's a lot of different things you can do with that at some point. Um, so for us, that was important. And, you know, when I worked at my old company, Vision, I was exposed to Florida. I was exposed to, you know, Atlanta. I was exposed to Kentucky. I was exposed to Texas. I, you know, I've done deals down there. So, you know, for us, it, or for me, it wasn't that scary to pull the trigger on a deal in Florida because I was exposed to it pretty heavily before um, and saw different patterns and why, you know, we wanted to invest down there. But to your point, starting off, we wanted to be local. We wanted to be within an hour of our properties, especially for those first few deals, you know, especially our own deals. And then a few of the earlier deals where we brought on, you know, limited partners uh, just because we wanted to perform. If we, you know, tanked the first couple of deals, there goes our business, you know? So we just really wanted to be hands-on and be able to get, we were, I mean, we were the superintendents at one of our properties, a 50 unit for like four months until we figured out what the hell we were doing. So and we would drive to the property like every other day. Um, but we got to learn, we got to reposition the property, like literally hands-on. So if we were to hire a third party, we would know exactly what we were looking for. Um, so, you know, we, we just, you know, ever since that experience, we've kind of taken the management side to the next level. So every deal we invest in, we also manage as well. And I think that's important. And obviously, you know, for us, we're not going to buy random 20 unit property and the other side of the country. Um, it has to be larger to your point. Now um, we try to target opportunities anywhere from 50 to 300 units, I'd say, uh, which is in that middle market, anywhere between five and 20 million. So we, we do have a niche that we're trying to stick within, um, you know, and, you know, we've been successful within that, that type of unit size and deal size range. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about is, is refining that investment thesis. Some people call it a thesis. Some people call it a process because, in my experience in the alternatives business, knowing what you don't want to look at, knowing what stuff you won't do, is a by default like a it can be like a good filtering mechanism. And I've seen lots of sponsors, I've worked at several sponsors where it was like, well, we'll just go where the opportunities are. I don't want to have an investment mandate because I can't predict what the Fed's gonna do and I can't predict where things are gonna be in two years, so I don't wanna be boxed in is their rationale. Whereas I hear lots of other sponsors say, this is kind of how we think about the world. Obviously things are subject to change, but these are the kinds of deals we like. This is the setup. And, you know, therefore things get filtered out um, quickly. So what is your process when it comes to sourcing and originating look like and how do you how, how did you build that up over time? Was it through repetition and knowing you know certain states we want to stay out of? Was it experience? Was it combination? Yeah, the combination for sure. I would say 
you know, if you show me a deal in New Jersey, I mean, I'll know exactly if I want to do it or not, just based upon where it is. Um, you know, Florida, you know, Florida and other markets a little bit different. Maybe we do a little bit more research. Um, but yeah, it just comes with time and, and analysis. Um, you know, we underwrite all our deals ourselves. Uh, but, you know, you show me a 2000 unit deal in, you know, Austin, Texas, and I'm already going to say no, you know, and I, and I get deals like that all the time. I get other sponsors that ask, oh, do you want to be a sponsor on this too? I'm, you know, I'm already going to say no, because it's not something, first of all, I'm comfortable with and something that, you know, I even agree with on an investment thesis um, side, you know, might be a class A, you know, A plus property and, you know, rents are, you know, $4,000 a month and they're all three bedrooms. Like I, I just, it's not, that's not what we invest in. You know, we have a niche and the niche hasn't changed. You know, even we've had that niche before COVID even hit. We looked at historical recessions, you know, what happened in 08, 09, what happened in 2002, what happened in the early nineties with the type of product we're buying. And every single, every single recession we see that it, you know, the workforce housing that kind of C, C plus, type of assets in B markets, you know, in suburban or, you know, maybe a little bit tertiary areas within an hour or two of a major metro, they always either hold their value and slowly go up or maybe do a slight decline in the recession. Obviously, this time COVID, we didn't really see that. Um, we saw it a little bit in 2020, but now, you know, interest rates are low and you don't know what the Fed's going to do and you can speculate, but um, we just kind of like the 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 demographics we're, we're looking to invest in, we kind of know what we're looking for. We know like the landlord friendly markets, you know, versus tenant friendly. Um, it just comes with time and, and some experience. And, um, you know, in terms of unit counts, like, you know, we know what exactly we're looking for and, you know, we'll waste our time looking at, you know, 500 unit deal. And like I said, you know, mentioned Austin again, I know there's going to be 20 bidders on that and they're going to have, you know, names that everybody knows, which is not a good thing. I don't want that much competition. So we, a lot of our deals are more off market as well through relationships that we've kind of cultivated. Um, so, you know, but there are less competition on middle market deals because you're not competing with the institutions, but you're not competing with small guys either. Now it is getting larger, you know, there are more operators emerging, but the operators that can prove that they've had success and they've been able to close and they do what they say they're gonna do, um, you know, usually have the leg up when they're bidding on a property, you know, in that size range. So, um, you know, that's, that's our mandate mandate or so hasn't really changed, um, you know, coming out of the, the COVID crisis. You've built the organization uh, as a syndication model uh, up to now. So when you identify a property, are you you know, getting it under control and then taking that property or that investment opportunity out to your, you know, I don't want to call it your network, but your, your LP base. Um, and have you thought about other alternative ways to build the organization uh, and, and found that the syndication model on a deal by deal basis is most appropriate for, you know, aligns your interests with your, your, your clients, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that's how we've been doing it for the past couple of years. Obviously, we still own direct deals and we will do some smaller direct deals or, you know, maybe joint venture opportunities as well. 
in the future. Um, yeah, the syndication model I really like just because you can, you know, you are helping individuals too. And again, it's always good to have a purpose behind what you're doing. You're helping individuals. I have a, I have a guy who's 20 years old. He gave, he gave us 50 grand in one deal. I've turned over his cash, I think like two or three times now. So basically tripled his net worth. And he, now he's 23 years old and uh, he keeps wanting to do more and more. So I like to have those, um, you know, I, I like to just help people who are looking to, you know, grow their portfolios as well with us. Um, and, you know, as opposed to just me and my partner buying something, um, it's, it's always good to have that as well. But I it just, it's good to have a purpose behind it. And, you know, the ability for people to access these type of deals wasn't around, you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago. It was, but it, most people didn't know, you know, it wasn't as accessible. So I like the syndication model for sure, um, you know, on, on our opportunities. And in terms of, you know, if we get, we don't really tie up deals and then figure out, okay, what's our LPs look like? We kind of, we kind of know like, okay, we're gonna have to bring in a few million dollars for this one. And, you know, we have a lot of people interested and I'll kind of go through the list and, you know, we invest too at the same time with, as an LP, um, you know, with, with our investors. So, you know, we kind of, we look at that as well and, you know, we want to participate and we always do. So, um, you know, we kind of have an idea of what we're looking for before we even get something under contract. Um, I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, Oh, well, I got this $50 million deal and it's in a market where you're located. Are you interested? I'm like, yeah, but I've never, I haven't done that on my own yet. I'm sure I will at some point, but um, you know, I'm, you know, I just kind of know what I can do now. And then I'll, we've been slowly scaling up in terms of deal sizes. Right. It sounds like the, uh, the intentionality behind, you know, I love the example, by the way, uh, of the, of the 20 year old, you know, the, the Gen Z, you know, these folks are hungry to take more active ownership of their investments. You know, they, they grew up with social media. So, uh, I don't know if that's a big investor base for you, but I would think it could be a big opportunity. Uh, because yeah. these are people that are out on social media. They want to meet the principals. They want to be connected. They want to be engaged. And, you know, who doesn't like having their money turned over <laughs> that quickly? Yeah. Um, would you talk a little bit about, Anthony, the uh, the the market dynamics that we're in? I, you know, I, I'd love to get your take because you're diligencing multifamily investment opportunities. And I reason I asked that question is I talked to a lot of people uh, syndicators and they're like, you know, it's, it's competitive to find, you know, good deals, you know, I guess, uh, is the best way to sum it up. What has been your experience on the ground and your property type over the last yeah. year? Yeah. I mean, like I said, if you know your niche and our niche, like I said, is workforce housing, you know, in the C, C, mostly C product that we try to turn around and improve and make them C plus, maybe even B minus in secondary markets within, you know, an hour or two of a major metro. So as, as long as you know what markets you want to target and you, you kind of, you know, you build relationships with brokers, yeah, it could be competitive, but there are deals out there. I, go to my, I should share my screen with you. You should see my deal folder. There's 1400 emails I haven't read because I get <laughs> deals and I just put them in, I put them in my folder. And then, you know, when I, when I get a second, I'll go through it. Um, 
So there are deals out there. I don't want to hear there's no deals. So um, I've, heard, I've heard that over and over and over again. It's just a limiting belief. So right, there are right. deals out there. You have to hustle. And, you know, there's always there's always deals. So, there's always things to do. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. And that's that's why I asked the question, because I, I hear, you know, I hear different perspectives from different folks in different property types and in different asset classes. So let's talk about the the relationship relationship building part of this business. Um, I've seen different models, the model of we want to look at everything. You know, we want to have kind of a trading floor environment and we're going to allocate the money to the best risk-adjusted returns, you know, that whole pitch. And sure. I hear you saying, this is our niche. We're looking for workforce housing, you know, C, C plus in secondary, tertiary markets or markets within an hour of a major metro area. I think everybody can get down with the fact that, you know, there's an affordability issue out there. There's good job issue out there. I mean, Americans are more and more moving to cities that are outside of major metro areas because of because of the rising costs of living like I'm in Atlanta. So within 30 minutes of Atlanta, uh, you're willing to drive an hour, totally different ball game. So talk about the network building element. Um, this must go back a lot of years, right? And how important that is to somebody that's a aspiring syndicator that's listening to the show. You know, they, they're starting to dabble in some real estate or maybe they are interested in, in doing a combination you know, passive, but also maybe doing their first couple of deals. Like talk about the importance of, of building the relationships early and with who and how to start that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a good point you brought up with, you know, some people who have invested with us have gone passive, which is fine. They've gone passive and they continue to still go passive. And then, they see what we're doing because we provide updates along the way and whatnot. They see what we're doing and, and then they eventually do their own couple of deals, which is great. I think that's awesome. So that's a good transition there. And they were at least able to leverage when they're talking to a broker or whoever, Oh, I you know, actually have invested in, you know, this hundred unit building with red Knight in this market. And then the broker said, Oh, red Knight, Yeah. I know those guys and totally different conversation. Uh, obviously if you have, bad credibility in the industry, then, you know, our, our name wouldn't be as, uh, you know, people wouldn't want to respond to us, but we, you know, we try to, every deal we do, we try to treat with integrity. We haven't retreated on any deal. Um, you know, meaning we've asked for discounts on inspections or just generally. So we've never done that. And we always closed every deal we had under contract. So it, you know, we get, you know, you get a reputation. Um, and if your reputation is, Oh, this guy just ties up deals and he tries to figure it out. And, you know, he kind of lets us know after his, we're like on the 29th day of due diligence, you know, he kind of just shits the bed. So the, people do that all the time. And then those deals usually come back to, you know, groups that have the ability to perform. They may not have been the highest price, but you know, maybe a couple percentage points off. Um, so we've seen that and we've gotten deals that way as well. You've got to be patient. So, you know, I think that's super important. And, you know, just like anything in life or in business, um, you know, reputation is everything. People, that's what people are going to remember you when you, you die, and your reputation and your character. So it's always good to, to act with, you know, the, the utmost 
that you can. The growth of any organization, whether it's a business or, you know, any anything else, uh, creates uh, an opportunity, but also presents challenges as a principal. You know, recruiting, trying to ensure consistency in processes, and you mentioned property management. So this is an area within real estate that I think gets often uh, underappreciated by maybe the, the the less experienced investor. You know, the less experienced um, uh, investor. The more that I've spent time in the real estate space, the more I realize, you know, having clear, clear alignment between your partners, you know, whether they're internal to the company and they're aligned with the asset management acquisitions team or they're third parties and you've gone out and really done your diligence to find the right property management company. Why did you, uh, wh what was the thinking behind building the property management business in-house? You talked about those first couple deals really you know, you literally were hands-on. Um, but as you scale and look to go to other states, I mean, that involves people. That's more complexity. Um, why Why that decision versus outsourcing? Yeah, I mean, you have to have systems in place. So we have, well, I, I think we have a good system in place. We have, you know, for our property management arm, we have maintenance technicians at every single, in every single state, you know, basically on site for each location that we hire on our payroll. And then we have, we do third party leasing, but they're kind of our employee, they're kind of not. So it doesn't cost me anything. That's a whole different topic. But um, so we do, you know, we have those key hires that we, we make. And I have, um, I have a senior property manager, on my payroll, and I have a bookkeeper. And then I have a, you know, an accountant that does our, our tax returns. So that's in terms of my organization. So there's not a lot of people in, involved, but you know, on the ground there, there, there is a little bit more than at the corporate level. So um, I just, again, it, it just comes down to um, making sure as a newer company, you know, making sure, and like I said this before, performance is key. I mean, people will, the first time you do a bad deal, people are always going to remember that. And then they'll forget about all the good deals that you did. So I don't, I didn't, I just didn't want my first few deals or does first dozen deals to have gone sour because I didn't do my due diligence and picked a crappy management company or a crappy leasing, you know, team. I wanted to have more control over it. And at the end of the day, if there are issues, I'm going to be the one responsible and I'm going to take accountability of it. So I just, for us, it was just easier. Let's just handle it ourselves and we'll hire good people. You have to do that anyway. You have to hire a management company. So who would look better over their properties than you and your team, especially if you're investing in it and you have people you know that are investing with you? Who's going to look better at over the properties? No one but yourself. So that was my philosophy around that. When you do get into other states, you know, you do have to learn, you know, all the payroll tax uh, implications and withholdings and so on and so forth and health insurance. Um, but we have systems in place with, with that. We have payroll processing, uh, you know, uh, platform we use. And, um, you know, we try to systematize it. And like I said, if we're looking at other deals in different markets we're not in, like in Atlanta, for example, I, I did just look at a deal there. Um, we, you know, want it to be at least 100 units. We're not going to buy a 50 unit there because then 
it's not worth the, the hassle to manage um, and, and take up a lot of time because we do know it's, it's, it's intensive. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's good to, it's not for everybody. Um, it's, it's definitely the most time consuming part of the real estate business for sure. Um, you know, could I do more deals? And if I third party the management, maybe, but I don't care. I, I could do crappy deals. I, you know, I, I, I wanted to, I want to make sure that I'm really hands-on in every deal for the first few years of the business, because the first time you do a bad deal is when, you know, you're going to run into issues. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts uh, uh, looking forward. You mentioned having about an $80 million portfolio today in yeah, four states. Yeah, give yeah. or take. And the, you know, the, the partnership, you know, you've, you've been, it sounds like you've been very intentional about, you know, which, which team members and ha- how you grow. Where have you been surprised that it's been harder? Um, because clearly building anything, launching anything, it doesn't always go up and to the right. So I, I, you know, I always like asking my guests to talk about some of the things that they've found to be, you know, things that they've learned along the way, some challenges that they've had to overcome, uh, because I think the backstory and what we can learn from you and, you know, again, whether it's endeavoring to build a real estate private equity business or a syndication business or some other asset management firm uh, or a tech company, there's definitely going to be bumps along the way. So no better person to ask than somebody that's, you know, running and, and founded a company. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the bumps along the way, we still have bumps along the way. We have bumps every single day. Um, and bumps are mostly on the, I would say, management side, again, because management's very intensive. It's, it's hard to find especially in this environment at the end of 2021, where you have labor shortages, um, it's hard to find good people willing to work. You know, we, we, we'd like to say we pay within market um, for the type of positions that we hire, but it is good to find and, and really trust a good person that'll be with you for for a while, um, especially on the ground, you know, tech, you know, maintenance technicians and contractors and vendors and so on and so forth. So there are a lot of challenges there. I mean, we've had to I can't tell me tell you how many people we've had to hire and fire, um, you know, for make the, that maintenance position, um, which is a really key position to have at each of your properties, um, you know. So that comes with ch- hiring challenges, or uh, I think the number one as of right now. We've been able to keep it under control, but um, you know, with turn you know lower turnover than than usual um, through some different strategies we try to implement. But, you know, it's it's that's that's definitely been a challenge. And, you know, looking back, if you know, if I knew what to look in, if I knew some of the techniques of hiring that I do now back then, we probably would have been a little better off. But you don't learn until you fall forward. So I think it was a good thing to have some, you know, pretty crazy maintenance technicians, quote unquote, um, that we've had to unfortunately, you know, get rid of and, and, and hire some prominent ones and learning from that experience was i think i think it was good so even though it affected short-term performance i think long-term is is good the the folks that are listening who are interested in you know passive investing in real estate what are some of the you know beyond the content you're putting out but what what are some of the things that uh 
that you always encourage investors to to be asking. You, you talked about the strategy and understanding, you know, what the sponsor is doing. Um, what what are what are some other sort of key pieces of advice, I guess, from from the experience with your investors, whether it's the typical questions you're getting or there's just the the mistakes uh, that they've learned from other deals and they find their way to, to Red Knight. What, what, what kind of advice would you give? Not investment advice per se, but but just, you know, general due diligence. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we do have um, on our, we actually have on our website, rednightproperties.com. If you go to invest with us, there's like a frequently asked questions page. I, I think I have like 30 or 40 questions that we usually get asked and I try to answer them there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always good to do your due diligence on anybody you're investing with, whether it's real estate or you know, crypto or tech, whatever you're into. Um, so yeah, that's definitely important as a passive investor. And there are a lot of resources out there, um, you know, active on biggerpockets.com. Uh, BiggerPockets is a good resource. I think they have a book on passive investing as well, because there's a lot of books on real estate and how to manage assets and how to be a good landlord. But there's not as many on, okay, how to, you know, align yourself with somebody who is active if you don't want to be active. Um, so th there's some good resources on there and some books. Um, maybe I'll, I'll produce some content as well on that, even more content. Um, you know, but again, there's, there's a lot of free information online now and, you know, a lot of um, resources we try to give to, to our community too to help help with the due diligence. You can never do too much due diligence so, um, on anything you're doing. So The last two questions I, I, I like to end the shows with our um, first, what gives you optimism about Red Knight and where you're going? And I'll ask that and preface. There's been a lot of talk and some legislation introduced. It's working its way through committees on the Capitol Hill around, you know, individual retirement accounts and tax mm -hmm. changes and the implications uh, for investors um, whether or not that gives you pause or it's a non-event, um, if you care to respond to it, you can, but I just, I wanted to ask you what gives you optimism about the business? Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up with some of the, the keys to success that I always like to ask people. Yeah, sure. So on, on the legislation front and, you know, I'm not trying to be political or anything, just, you know, they always change. And they changed the last second and we've, you know, recording this, you know, third quarter of 21, probably change again tomorrow and it'll change again the next day and it'll change. It'll keep changing and changing and changing until it's actually voted on. Um, so you don't know until, until when the votes come in. There are, you know, earlier this year, there were some um, talks about capital gains being 40 percent and eliminating the step up in basis and. Eliminating 1031, well, guess what? None of those things are happening in the proposal as of right now. Things could change. So there's a lot of talk. I try not to get lost within the noise, and I try to still focus on what's currently as is. But we, we do have to look at it. Regardless of that, I mean, what other investment vehicle, you know, allows you to, you know, invest in the community? And I'm not saying avoid taxes or capital gains, but defer them and keep investing in different communities and through you know, mechanisms like 1031 exchanges or deferred sales trust. There's, I can't really think of any. Uh, so I think the fundamentals from that perspective are, are still there, even if there are legislative changes. I mean, 
especially with what's proposed now. Um, so I, I think the fundamentals are just still there. And you mentioned, you know, obviously there's a, a shortage of, of affordable and, and, you know, workforce housing uh, products. And this has been going on for a decade, but it's just it's continuing to exacerbate and rising construction costs don't help. So, you know, the affordability factor. So I think you're going to see some local governments step in, um, and provide some more tax incentives and some other you know, reduce impact fees and, and things of that nature for developers. I think we're going to start to see some of that. Um, so I, I, I like where we are, you know, in terms of the demographics we're targeting. It's not changing, at least anytime soon, based upon where we are as a country, um, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, that's my short short take on it. And, you know, obviously subject to change. Sure. I'd like to wrap up by asking you, Anthony, to talk a little bit about um, on the the more more of a personal s- standpoint the busy people that we have on the show the that are leading companies leading organization leading teams um whether they have a formula that's sort of written down and they follow it every day or they sort of have a way that they just build their week uh i i always like to ask and pick the brain of of these folks to hear you know wh- how do they manage it all you know whether it's they call it balance or they keep keep it in perspective or um, juggling, what what works for you? Yeah, I mean, and I'm not perfect, so I I need help myself with trying to figure. Maybe what I'm doing is wrong. I mean, I don't I, I don't know. I always feel like there's ways to improve. Um, but you know, if you have good systems in place, you know, like we have for our management, we have soft property management software for each of our employees. We use Microsoft Teams, so we communicate on there. We have a virtual mailbox so I can see all the mail and the rents that come. So, like, we do have our systems in place um, to, in order to be efficient and, and manage, you know, the day-to-day, uh, you know, cycle. Um, I have all my leasing calls on one day. I host all my podcasts on one day. And then kind of the rest of the week is doing what we got to do. Um, so that's kind of how I plan. It's it's a little bit loose, but with a little bit of structure. Um I, I love to improve myself, but it's always good to have some sort of um, some sort of I wouldn't say routine, but at least um, at least, you know, some it's trying to implement some things I learned from the old company I worked for and, and uh, some systems there. I'm not saying it's the best or, you know, it's bad. It's just the way that we've done things. So um, it's, it's good to have some regimen in place. Sure. Well, Anthony, uh, I appreciate you coming on the ATL Alts uh, podcast today and giving us a perspective and a peek under the hood of Red Knight Properties. Congratulations on uh, on all the success over the first uh, well, a couple of years with the business, but but uh, but going back further, you know, the backstory, you know, back back even before that. So, with that, um, Anthony uh, Skindariato the managing yep. principal and co-founder of Red Knight Properties. Thank you for joining me today on the ATL Alts podcast. Thank you, Andres. This was a great show and it was a lot of fun. Thank you.